Please turn to Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. While you're turning, the king of Syria had a security leak. Whenever he had planned to move against Israel, the Israelis always learned of his plans. He even accused his own staff of harboring a spy. You can read all about it in 2 Kings chapter 6. However, it was reported to him that Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So it wasn't a electronic device that was transferring the information. It was the Lord God. So he came up with an interesting strategy. He decided he was going to send his army to Dotham, where uh, Elisha lived, and capture him. I imagine that would be just as hard to pull off as all those other attacks were hard to pull off when the enemy knows about what you're going to do. So, in a way, this wasn't really great thinking. But anyway, one morning, Elisha's servant looked out and received a shock. And you can read about it in 2 Kings chapter, uh, verse 15 uh, through 17, chapter 6. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was encircling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now imagine yourself. You, open, you throw open the drapes of a morning, and your, your town, Greenville, let's say, is surrounded by Chinese tanks. Okay. What would you do? Yeah. That was the kind of situation they were facing. Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Today, Daniel is going to pull back the curtain a little bit and give us a glimpse of that invisible war also. That there is a conflict going on around us that we are totally unaware of most of the time. That angels indeed fight over us. You're a battleground as well as, as well as a participant in this battle. Now, we're in the part of Daniel that has a particular message for Israel. We're actually in the very last vision that Daniel's going to get, uh, that he's recorded in the book. And this is probably fairly close to the close of Daniel's life. The visions that he's received have shattered any hope that he may have had of a peaceful future for Israel. God has told him, quite frankly, that tough times are ahead. That there will be persecution. And he's even given him a glimpse at the ultimate persecution in the end times. Therefore, Daniel makes that a particular object of prayer. As always, uh, I think probably Daniel's favorite phrase must have been, let's pray. Yeah. In answer, God sent the angel Gabriel 
I think the angel Gabriel. The text doesn't say that. This is a halism, so you can discard the Gabriel part. But he sent him an angel anyway, with a message, as he's done so many times before. Daniel's last message. But, strangely, three weeks have gone by, and Daniel's still praying. And that's where we pick up today in chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food. And nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. Now verse 1 kind of makes a title for us. Um, it doesn't switch to first person until we get to the second verse, so it's kind of a title for this final vision. Which occurred during the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. From Daniel's Babylon-centered point of view, that would be the third year of Cyrus's rule over Babylon, which would have been 536 B.C. Daniel, he's retired. He's somewhere in the neighborhood of 84 to 90 years old, uh, depending upon exactly when he was taken captive. And um, he's finally gotten to retire. He's been drug out of retirement when the Persians took over, and now he's gone back to retirement. And there's no conflict here, by the way, with the earlier statement in chapter 1 that Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king, since that refers to Daniel's royal service. Well, Daniel's been retired for a couple of years. Um, finally got to a civil servant, servant that got to retire. What a concept. Um, <laughs> he's probably too old to return to Israel, even though the exiles have gone back. And Daniel, in this last vision, makes, uh, takes pains to make sure nobody misidentifies him. He, he points out, though it's not his custom, that he was called also Belteshazzar. So he identifies and establishes that he's the same Daniel that was taken captive from Judah as a youth. Probably because who would believe it? Yeah, back in those days, they didn't tend to live that long. Uh, you know, medical science being what it was. So living until your 90s is, you know, uh, a big deal, definitely. It said the message was one of great conflict. The Hebrew word translated conflict there means an army, war, warfare, has all those ideas. Uh, it does reveal great conflict all the way down to the final conflict of the Antichrist. But moreover... It also reveals another conflict, an invisible war, that's constantly taking place in the spiritual realm. Now, some of Daniel's visions he had trouble understanding, and he had to pray about the understanding, but not this one. He understood this final vision. This kind of pulled everything together for him. He had been in mourning for three weeks. Now, remember from last week, by the way, how many remember what the significance of 173,880 days is? That was the time to the Messiah. Yeah, but anyway, just thought I'd do it. See, there was a test. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's the school teacher in me. Uh, <laughs> when Daniel wrote here three entire weeks, 
Remember, he changed the way he said it. He said, which literally means three sevens of days. So just to differentiate from the weeks of years that he had in chapter 9. Based on the date that we have in verse 4 of uh, the 24th of the first month, that was the month Nisan in their calendar, not done anything to do with small Japanese cars. Um, <laughs> given that date, Daniel was in mourning even through the Passover season. Even through that, it'd be like mourning over Thanksgiving. You know? uh, the Hebrew word translated mourning here means to mourn, to lament, even as if for a loved one. So it's very serious mourning. Now, what brought the prophet to that place? What was he mourning about? Well, the exiles had returned all right. And Daniel doubtless was rejoicing because the 70 years were over that Jeremiah had predicted. Their exile was ending. But then, when they started to rebuild the temple, they only got so far as laying the foundation stones and opposition arose in the area. And all construction indeed had ceased according to the book of Ezra. That work was delayed until 520 BC and it wasn't finished till 515. Now, Daniel probably reasoning, well the first Jewish exiles among which he was were taken, were taken in 605 and they returned in 536 exactly 70 years later. Therefore he's going, well the temple should be rebuilt too. What Daniel may have overlooked is that the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. Therefore, 70 years later from that point was 515. And we hadn't gotten to that point yet. Strangely enough, that 16-year delay kept everything right on schedule. Isn't that interesting? Don't we feel like that sometimes? We feel like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? By my timetable, we should be here. And God says, I've got it under control. <laughs> yeah, I've got it all under control. It's all wrapped up. God's always right on time. But he doesn't keep our schedule. Now, this wasn't a complete fast, but Daniel was uh, in a time of mourning. He was, did not fast, but he gave up anything tasty. At that point, he had a vision after those 21 days. The first thing he tells us is the location of the vision, verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. That's where it was revealed. The vision was revealed the 24th day of the first month, or Nisan 24, 536 B.C. That was about 10 days after Passover. Feast of Unleavened Bread had passed by. That major holiday had passed and he had been in mourning the entire time. And Daniel was on the bank of the Tigris River. Uh, thanks to Iraq, we knew all about the Tigris and the Euphrates these days. Uh, it was about 35 miles from Babylon. We are not told why he was there. Uh, presumably he was retired, so you know he may have been there for the scenery, I don't know, or to visit a friend. But in any case, there were people with him, so we know he was actually there. This is not a, he was there in a vision, but he had a vision while he was there. Um, so, 
And then you have the description of the vision. I lifted my eyes and looked. And behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Ufaz. His body also was like beryl, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. He saw a human-shaped figure, dressed in linen, wearing a golden belt. Now, linen was pure white. It was worn by the, by the priest, mainly. Um, very expensive in the ancient world. But that belt, a golden belt, that's amazing. Uh, it could be segmented. It could be chain mail. It could have been em uh, embroidered with, gold, with lots of gold thread. I don't know. It doesn't tell us, but it sounds stunning. That was the first thing that caught his eye. But the second thing that caught his eye is the body looks a little unusual too. It was translucent to transparent and it resembled the gemstone barrel. Now I did a little looking online because I'm going, what does a barrel look like? I, I don't know. Uh, so I found out that it's also known as chrysolite or chrysobarrel is another name for it or heliodor and or yellow jasper or topaz are also related gems. What they are is uh, yellow jasper is translucent but not transparent. Topaz and, and beryl are transparent but they're all of a yellowish tint. And it's kind of like if you, uh, if you could imagine a diamond that had a yellow tint to it. That's what it looks like. Uh, it's a beautiful stone, really is, especially when cut well. So that's what the body looked like said like. Notice all the likes and as's here and resembling because these are definitely similes. These, the best he can come up with to describe it. And then the face had the appearance of lightning suggesting brightness, a flash to it. I can't imagine, you know, but that must have been a really arresting picture. His eyes suggest flame. And his arms and feet resembled polished bronze. Bronze is an interesting metal symbolically in the Bible because it's almost always associated with judgment. And that's, that's a key here, that, that polished bronze appearance would speak to him of, of the judge and of authority. And then the voice resembled that of a huge crowd. The Hebrew word translated tumult here means a sound, a roar, a crowd. If you can imagine, you know, say a Texas stadium full of, of screaming fans, it's that kind of volume that we're talking about. It's been translated the sound of a multitude or as one translation has it, his voice thundered forth like the sound of a huge crowd. Now, does this sound familiar, this vision? Because as I'm reading this, I'm going, I've seen this before in the book of Revelation, chapter 1. John's vision of Jesus. And here's what John wrote uh, in, in Revelation 1. He heard a voice behind him and he turned to see who was speaking. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, 
dressed in a long robe with a gold sash wrapped around his chest. His head and hair were white as wool, white as snow, his eyes like a fiery flame, his feet like fine bronze fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. In his right hand he had seven stars, and from his mouth came forth a sharp two-edged sword. His face was shining like the sun at midday. Pretty similar. Pretty similar visions. Now, no similarity does not mean same. And I can't be totally dogmatic here because the text doesn't tell us. But I think that this is possibly a theophany, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. To, uh, to this prophet. Now, it's been it's been also you know been disagreed with, and some people have said no 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 this is just a very glorious angel. Okay, and there are some very stunning angels in the Bible, so perhaps that could be true. But we know from chapter twelve, if you look ahead, because that's all the same thing. This this final vision takes up the last three chapters of Daniel. And from chapter 12, that the man dressed in linen was above the waters of the river. And then there were angels, one on the bank of the river and one on the other bank of the river. So Daniel had an angel with him on the bank of the river. But this, this vision he saw, as he tells us later on, is over the waters of the river standing there in thin air. Okay? So the figure is not the same as the angel whom Daniel was interacting with. So that, tell, that tells me that there's nothing preventing this from being the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, if you disagree with me, that's okay. You've got plenty of good company there and I can't be dogmatic about it. But I think it's very likely. Now, what effect did that vision, that vision have on Daniel? Well, of course, he ran and told everybody. No, actually, he didn't do any running. It says, Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. While the men who were with me, that tells me that it's not a vision that he was by the river, but he was by the river having a vision. The men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they all ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I, regained, I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now Daniel alone saw this vision. His companions, though, felt a great dread and they ran away and hid. In Acts 9-7, when Paul sees the risen Christ, the same sort of thing takes place. Paul's companions did not see Christ. They heard a sound, but they couldn't make out the words, but they couldn't see Christ. Uh, only Paul did. It was his vision. And this overwhelming sight causes Daniel to feel faint. You know, people um, get glib sometimes about sensing the presence of the Lord. I'm going, I think if we really did, we'd all be on our hands and knees shaking. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. Um, 
when Daniel heard the figure begin to speak, <laughs> he completely passed out. <laughs> now, <laughs> reminds one of the phenomena that I think is somewhat misnamed be, uh, being slain in the spirit. I, I don't you know, see that term in the Bible anyplace, but I do see plenty of people being overwhelmed by the presence of God. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what you see happening in a lot of cases. Somebody gets overwhelmed by the presence of God. And Daniel fainted dead away. I think I would have too. The angel would have had to heal me from a coronary, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, a hand touched Daniel and enabled him to get up on his hands and knees. You know, when that's progress, you know you're in a bad way. Uh, that hand, I think, belonged to the angel that was on Daniel's side of the river. And the man dressed in linen, as we saw, was standing over the waters, not on either side. And Daniel's angelic assistant then might be, might be, Gabriel. Because, and the only reason I say that is because God had sent Gabriel to him before. So it might be Gabriel. Might be some other angel. We only have, aside from uh, from Lucifer, we only have two angels named in the Bible, and that's uh, Michael and Gabriel. So, yeah, there could, there of course are hosts of angels, and we just don't know all the names. Now, when he got him up on his knees, he began to explain to him what had been going on. And this is where we can see the invisible war a little bit. The part that we don't usually get to see. We begin with an angelic explanation. In verse 11, he said to me, O oh Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up, trembling. And then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. So the angel helped Daniel up. He encouraged him. He assured him that he was a man of high esteem. That Hebrew word that translates high esteem is the same word that we saw in Daniel chapter 9, verse 23. It means a precious treasure. That's how it's been translated in some translations. For instance, um, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. What an encouraging thing to hear. The angel will reassure him again with that very same word in, in verse 19. So, And then he states that he had been sent to Daniel. Now, thus encouraged, Daniel manages to stand up, but he's shaking in his boots. Uh, the Hebrew word translated trembling here is used in Psalm 104 to describe an earthquake. So he's really shaking. <laughs> he's quaking, uh, not just shaking. Yeah. The angel exhorted Daniel, don't be afraid. 
again, you know, his usual reaction to either sensing the presence of the Lord or running into an angel is people have to be exhorted, don't be afraid, fear not. He also revealed that Daniel's prayer was heard on the first day. James tells us that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, if he heard it on the first day, why the delay? You know, I, I, can, I can see the, the puzzlement on Daniel's face besides the terror that he was feeling. Why did it take 21 days? And the angel explained that he had been held up 21 days by a being that was called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, who's that? Well, I don't think it's any mere human ruler. I don't think there's a human being that can hold up an angel for one day, let alone 21. We are not stronger. You know, there's no way that that could, be, that could happen. So it's got to be a spiritual being. And since a good angel is being resisted, I think that spiritual being is an evil angel, a demon, a fallen angel. We know from the Bible that uh, a sizable proportion of the angels rebelled along with Satan and, theref and therefore become what we refer to as demons. By the way, just to make sure that I'm clear on it, Satan is not God's opposite number. He is just an angel. Satan is Michael's opposite number, not God's. So, you know, the popular conception of Satan as God's, op God's opposite, God's opponent, God's, you know, it's like there's really two gods wrestling and they're equally powered. No, they're not. There is no contest. Uh, this is, yeah, just, you know, it's, it's absurd on the face of it, you know, that a puny little angel of any sort, you know, could withstand God. So that's, you know, let's be clear on that one. So the angel revealed that Michael the archangel came to his aid so he could continue on to Daniel with the message. The Hebrew word that's translated had been left was taken, uh, should be taken as I was left over there beside the kings. In other words, I had nothing more to do. It's a term that means to be superfluous. It's not uh, not like I was uh, I was remaining there, but rather <laughs> I was superfluous. So since Michael had relieved him, he was superfluous, and he could go on to Daniel. Now, this is just a little glimpse, and we have a few other glimpses in Scripture that help us to see that there is around us an unseen world. There are demons and there are angels and they are contesting. Fighting over what? Over human beings. Over us. We're the battleground. Satan's demons are arranged hierarchically. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
So Paul divides the demons into four classes there. There's the Greek word translated rulers means an authority figure who initiates an activity or a process. These demons might be Satan's uh, planning and command staff so to speak. Um, there's also the Greek word translated powers. It means a power exercised by rulers or others in high position by virtue of their office. Ruling power, official power. Now there'd be several levels of those just like there are several levels of officials in our world. Some are more powerful than others. The Greek word translated world forces, cosmocrator, is generally used of world ruling gods in the pagan world. So now it'd be used of spirit beings who have parts of the cosmos under their control. Apparently some world rulers, world ruler demons, have power over entire countries like the prince of the kingdom of Persia. So God has angels that he sends to minister to a country to a state, to a town, to individuals. But Satan does too. Okay? There is a prince of the United States. And he doesn't mean good for us. And then there's God's angel. Yeah? There are princes, lower, lesser princes, if you will, of Texas, of California. There's a prince of Greenville. And he's our enemy. <laughs> you know? And there are God's angels. And they war. All around us. You ever wonder why some of the bad stuff happens? See, Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And so often we think, yeah, if we, like, if we could just get people in office... Okay? And what happens? They get there and they forget why they're there. Okay? Or if we could just take over this, or if we could just take over that. Now, those are all fleshly things. I'm not saying that they can't have good motives and good results, but only if God's in it. And if God isn't, you're going down. There is a war. Easiest way to become a casualty in a war is not know with it, to not know there's one going on. Yeah. Other um, other demons apparently are categorized as spiritual forces of evil. That's kind of general. I um, I guess perhaps those work to promote various wicked tendencies and movements. Yeah. Perhaps there are demons who promote humanism or. Yeah, or occultism or that sort of thing. There's an actual vis invisible war. Angels warring against each other. John wrote of that during the tribulation, but that's not the only battle, I'm sure. Revelation chapter 12, he said, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. That's Satan. And the dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with them. Now, saying that there is this horrendous battle going on, Satan nonetheless is a defeated foe. 
John made that, the Lord made that clear in John chapter 12, verse 31, that he has been judged already, and he's simply awaiting execution. And Paul wrote to the Colossians that when he, when he, that is the Lord, had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Jesus. God limits Satan's activities. He's like a mad dog, but he's a mad dog on a leash. Okay? Uh, and he won't allow him to tempt us beyond what we're able to endure. We know that from the book of Job. There were definite limits that God set on how far Satan could go after Job. And in 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul uh, says there's no temptation overtaking you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tested beyond what you're able to endure. So God sets limits on this. He can't go after us forever. Our weapons are spiritual, not worldly. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In addition to our spiritual armor that you know, Paul wrote about in Ephesians 6, God's also given us the weapon of prayer. Prayer enables us to join with God in seeing God's will carried out on earth and evil forces defeated. So we move from being a battlefield to being one of the warriors. Like Jesus said, at all times we ought to pray and not lose heart. I'm thankful, aren't you, that, God, that Daniel didn't give up on day 20 or day 19, you know? But he kept on praying. Actually, I was going to share for the introduction, and God kind of redirected me, a scene out of one of Frank Peretti's novels where he very graphically has, you know, demons falling in defeat and vanishing in a cloud of sulfur. Uh, you know, very, very graphic piece of literature. And at the end of it, as a demon is, is going up, poof, in smoke, he shouts out, Somebody's praying! <laughs> Folks, that can be us. You don't have to be big to make an impact in the spiritual world. You just have to be tapped into a big God. <laughs> and we are. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> I was waiting for that amen. <laughs> yeah, one plus God is a majority. See, Angel explained that he was there to give Daniel understanding of what was going to happen to Israel in the future. And he noted that the vision concerned the last days. The Hebrew word translated pertains here actually has the idea of continuance, that this continues up to a certain point. The, um, the phrase that's translated latter days in the New American Standard literally is in the end of the days. It's a prophetic phrase that talks about the final period of human history. Um, some translations have got that right. Interestingly enough, one of them, a Jewish translation, has in the end of days. 
another one has the last days, and another one has the final days. Um, one translation has, now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. Now, the reason why I think that's very important is because some people want to stop as they're going through this vision and say, well, everything has to do with Antiochus Epiphanes. Because it does go up to him. And he is a type, if you will, of the Antichrist. Just like we might say Hitler is a type of the Antichrist. Hal Lindsey likes to refer to the future Fuhrer. Okay. And that's, that's true. You can make comparisons. But the Antichrist will make both Antiochus and Hitler look like a, a choir boy. They're nothing compared to, to what he's going to accomplish or evil. So it'd be a mistake to stop with the type because it then goes on to talk about the end, the end of time. And as we're going through that over the next couple of weeks, we'll see that. Now, Daniel again required angelic assistance. Verse 15 says, When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O oh my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me. I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. So upon hearing those words... Daniel fell down and was speechless. The, uh, the Hebrew phrase that's translated, I turned my face toward the ground, is very literally, I gave my face to the ground. In other words, boom. <laughs> I gave my face to the ground. Yes, you have, actually, yeah. <laughs> so... It's been translated, uh, I think, the best by one translation. I was flat on the ground. I gave my face to the ground. I was flat on the ground. Or another one, I fell forward or I prostrate, prostrate, I uh, can't talk, prostrated myself on the ground. Um, that's similar to the, the response the Apostle John had in Revelation 117. It says, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And uh, I think that's quite natural. I, like I said, I would have to be healed of a cardiac arrest also, you know. Um, hope the angel can do the clear <laughs> thing. The angel touched Daniel's lips and enabled him to speak. And that was very much like what happened to Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah, when he saw the Lord sitting on a throne in the temple, said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim, that's a, a, an angel, flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He, he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. So Daniel has to be enabled enough that he's able to talk. And then he spoke to the angel before him of his lack of strength. He felt entirely unworthy, just like Isaiah had, just like all, of, all those who have suddenly seen God feel. 
you compare yourself to absolute holiness and you come up short, way short. He felt unworthy, he was weak, and he said, no breath remains in me. He was out of breath, perhaps hyperventilating. Yeah. So then the angel strengthened him. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. And he said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces, except Michael, your prince. So he again strengthened Daniel with a touch. And the angel repeated the affirmation that Daniel was a man of high esteem. Or as one translation has, don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. And because the angel strengthened him, he had now asked the angel to speak. And the angel asked if Daniel understands what is coming to him, why, why he came to him. The angel had broken off his struggle with the demonic forces influencing Persia, a struggle that would soon involve also the demonic forces involving Greece, in order to come to Daniel. And he promises to tell Daniel the truth about Israel's future. He notes the only angel who stands firmly with him is Michael, the archangel who's over Israel. He calls him your prince. The powers of evil were active in trying to stop the return of the Jews to the land. They, you can imagine what force and what pressure they must have put trying to stop Cyrus from issuing that decree precisely at 70 years. They wanted to see it fail, and they failed in making it fail. They tried to stop the temple in Jerusalem from being built. And all they did was result in it being built exactly on time. So they failed there too. In the days of Queen Esther, Satan's forces motivated Haman to attempt to destroy the Jews in the Persian Empire. And in the days that would come of Antiochus Epiphanes IV, they tried to stamp out Judaism knowing that if they succeeded in doing that, the Messiah couldn't come. In addition to all that human conflict, the ages-old spiritual conflict has been, and still is, being waged. There is a battle going on around us right now. A battle for each of our souls, a battle for the soul of Greenville, a battle for the soul of Texas, and a battle for the soul of the United States, and a battle for the world. It is going on all around us. Nevertheless, the omniscient God has already written history. It is inscribed in the writing of truth. And <laughs> we read the back of the book. We win. <laughs> now, how do we apply this? Well, on the level of intercession, we got to know that that war is going on and have our spiritual armor on or we will become casualties. I think really, you know, especially important here, as it is in battle in the ancient world, is the helmet of salvation. The assurance that by grace alone, through faith alone, plus nothing, 
in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. That assurance, if you don't have that assurance, you're going to take a blow to the head, for sure. Okay? The faith also that forms the shield of faith. The shield of faith stops all the fiery darts of the enemy. If we don't have that trust in God no matter what, whether we understand or not, fiery darts will get through. So that armor is critically important because you're in a battle. And we don't want to become casualties. We take our part in this war with the spiritual weapons that we've been given. Like faith. Like the word of God. Which is sharper than any two-edged sword. The Romans were, were famous for their swordsmanship. For their double-edged sword with, the point, with a sharp point. That they could thrust, they could slice either way. And that Roman soldier behind that Roman shield with that Roman, Roman sword was a formidable force to deal with. So we have weapons like that. Faith for our shield, the word for our sword, and prayer. And prayer. Because we tap into the very power of God there. And when it seems, on the personal level, when it seems like the answer to prayer is delayed, keep praying. Do not give up. <laughs> I've told the story so many times it's probably getting old to some of, some of them who know me, but there was one particular hill that Ted and I assaulted in, in uh, Oklahoma that was heavily forested back when I actually was a backpacker. That's uh, <laughs> a long time ago. But, you know, Ted being the more seasoned climber, yeah, he was working his way steadily up the hill. Hal, being like a bull in the china shop, would charge forward, you know, fighting the brush and everything, and then stop, collapse, charge, collapse, charge, collapse, charge, collapse, you know, and that's how I assaulted the hill. Ted was making a lot more progress than I was. Um, and I finally got to the point where I just totally exhausted myself. I threw down my pack, collapsed in a heap, and said, that's it, I can't go another step further. I hear, I hear up ahead of me a few feet, crush, 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 you know. And uh, then the Ted's voice coming back, going, uh, Hal, I'm uh, standing on the top. And I'd given up just a few yards shy of being on the top of the thing. Couldn't see it for all the trees. You know, almost made it. But, you know, so often we do. We give up. Be a Daniel. Don't give up. Okay? Have a holy stubbornness. You know, do not give up. God is sovereign. He operates on His time schedule. you got to know that. Okay? But He's never late. He's never late. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank You that You have us, You have all of history in Your hand. And You're in charge. Father, help us to be aware of the spiritual war that we're in. Give us spiritual eyes to see that invisible war. Lord, may we avail ourselves of your power through prayer. May we wear our armor. May we not become casualties, but may we become warriors. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.